I'll stay on the porch Blow the whistle Blow the whistle Blow the whistle Blow the whistle Where you get that from? Grab a mic, spit one Let me hit that blind Pimp C, 8 ball and MJG Keep spitting that B to the IMP Bun B, that's Texas, baby Ballin' G, that's Memphis, baby Short dog And we are live Business and Buckets, episode 124, coming at you on this beautiful Thursday morning. And oh boy, is your boy fired up. There's been a lot going on in my world lately. But we got the new backdrop, the famous Antelope Canyon here in the desert in Phoenix, in the valley. How to represent, bring a little bit of new flair as the rebranding's coming. Been talking about it for a couple months, just had a lot of things you know, unfold to, to get to where we are today, but I plan on announcing the official rebrand in a week or two. The Business and Buckets podcast is becoming the Business and Buckets podcast network with two separate podcasts. What I've been doing only for the past, well, since the start of the year, a weekly MMA podcast with a new name, a monthly business podcast with a new name separating the two. Started all sports, nichified to MMA UFC uh, predominant. So yeah, lots of things coming. Stay tuned for the rebrand official launch date. I'll be posting a lot of stuff in the socials, new socials, you know, little trailers, things of that nature. Now, outside of that, I think I talked about this last week. Just finished hosting with the family. Uh, had a uh, uninsured driver rear end me and, and total my 2009 Nissan Rogue. I called her Black Betty, uh, you know, good all-wheel all, all drive SUV. I could do anything, tinted the windows, decked it out, had ski racks on it, the whole the whole nine. I loved the car, was going to run her until she died. Well, she's been totaled, so instead of getting another older used vehicle, I'm getting a newer used vehicle, Dodge Ram Laramie, either tomorrow or Saturday. So fun stuff on the horizon and, uh, yeah, I mean, got my cold plunge set up. I've been cold plunging every day, 40 degrees, trying to set myself up for, for uh, twice a day before uh, bed, a couple hours before bed and, and right in the morning. And uh, I'm doing three minutes right now, wanting to work my way up to five minutes. So your boy's juiced, full of energy today to break down all things MMA. But before we talk, the one and only sponsor – here at Business at Buckets, we're going to talk Field Supplements. So if it's not broken, why fix it? That's the inspiration behind Field Supplements' newest product, Creatine Monohydrate. So why would you want to take creatine? Well, creatine monohydrate is one of the most well-researched and effective natural supplements available for increasing muscle performance. Creatine enhances performance by supplying a pool of ATP, which acts as the mus muscle tissue's primary energy source for fuel during explosive bursts of energy, power, and strength. You get 100 servings, non-GMO, gluten-free, safe, and effective. You guys know the deal. Go to fieldsupplements.com. Use my promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S, for 15% off. And uh, instead of going to GNC, going on to Amazon, check a small uh, local business, supporting small business. It's the American dream. That's what it's all about. Screw the corporations. I'm decked out in my Avs gear, you know, 
NBA hockey getting towards the end of the season. March Madness in the mix. And uh, just giving love to the defending champion, Colorado Avalanche, looking to run it back, getting healthy, fun things in store. But a lot of things to talk about with a uh, controversial UFC uh, 286 card, a great fight night card in San Antonio, Texas this weekend. So let's get started. So, um, you know, we'll break down 286. This isn't a spoiler by any means. Leon Edwards ended up retaining his title in the trilogy against Usman. So uh, Dana White in the post-UFC press conference says, Colby Covington's next. Usually what Dana says, Dana, you know, makes happen, especially because he never talks about fights the day of the fight, blah, blah, blah. But supposedly that's the deal. He weighed in as a backup fighter, surprisingly, that week as well. Leon doesn't like that idea. Leon's been sitting out, or Colby's been sitting out for some time has lost his recent matches, although it was against Usman. So, you know, there's some controversy there. It'll be interesting to see how that breaks down. I would not be surprised if it's Colby. I'm not too opposed of the idea. A lot of people want to say Bilal Muhammad deserves the fight. And you look at what Bilal Muhammad does, he's earned it. And I, I think that's controversial myself. I love Bilal Muhammad. I want to root for the guy. He is on a one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight fight win streak with a no contest. But we already saw the Leon Edwards fight uh, in 2021, so not that far removed. March, so two years ago, Leon was on his way to an easy victory before the eye poke. He's beating uh, four guys to me that doesn't matter: Diego Lima, Lyman Good, Takashi Sato, Curtis Melender. I don't even know half those guys, and I know a lot of guys in the roster since a long time ago. Then he beat Damian Maya way past his prime here in Arizona. Steven Thompson, that's a great fight, unanimous decision, just by wrestling. Same with the Vicente Luque fight. His best performance, last performance, Sean Brady, but still a guy barely in the top 15. Let's look at what Colby Covington has done. You know, he dealt with the whole Jorge Masvidal thing, getting jumped, so you got to give him some time there. He beat Jorge Masvidal, beat Tyron Woodley, beat Robbie Lawler, beat RDA, Damian Maya. Brian Barberena, so a lot better things. He's only lost to Kamaru. I'm not too opposed to it. If we look at the UFC rankings and you look at who else has the opportunity for potentially getting that title shot, um, let's see. Um, Kamzat's moving up, so that eliminates that idea. You have Gilbert Burns fighting this weekend against Jorge Masvidal. I could see the winner of that. Uh, Gilbert is just as deserving as anybody. Um, as well as Jorge getting a, a, a win over Gilbert in Miami. That would be huge, and there's drama there that would sell pay-per-views. So um, as much as Bilal Muhammad's, you know, done a lot of things, Leon did a lot of things to earn his title shot too. I'm not as opposed. I don't think it's that big a drama that Bilal's not getting the title fight. You're going to put fights together that sell Colby T Covington, the winner of Burns, Masvidal going to sell more than Bilal. And I think there's opportunities for Bilal to have the next fight. You know, supposedly Dana says Shavkat Rahmanov and Bilal Muhammad is next. Like, all right, Bilal, you know, you really want the title fight? Beat Shavkat Rahmanov and Sean Brady, two up-and-coming guys with the win streak. You're going to earn your shot. So uh, he's probably one fight away. It is what it is. It's the UFC in very good divisions like this. It, it takes a, a long way to the top. That's why they get paid pay-per-view points. And it's, it's a tough business. So it is what it is. I'm not too opposed. Call me crazy. Um, Islam Makachev on Twitter after the fight called for the fight with Leon Edwards, but it seems like they are going to have 
Islam uh, defend his title in his division as well as Volkanovski. Um, they're not doing that rematch. It's going to be Volkanovski, Yair, International Fight Week. And might as well book Islam. If Islam wins, wants to fight Edwards, go for it. Try to go for champ champ. Super, you know, down for that. But uh, let them defend their titles one time. For fights that have actually been booked, we only have one big fight booked this week for uh, announcements. Brendan Allen, Jack Hermanson, June 3rd, five-round main event. Brendan Allen with the awesome win against Andre Muniz fighting a, uh, a savvy veteran. That's going to be an awesome main event. And uh, potentially just the, the real big win that Brendan's been searching for. Still very young, not even in his prime yet. Watch out for Brent, Brendan Allen. And finally, the drama with Paula Costa and the UFC comes to an end. He gets a four-fight deal. They typically like to have six or eight fights. He was able to, to squeeze out a couple of those so he's not locked in the UFC forever. And they are negotiating fights with Kamzat Chemaev against Paula Costa and Sean Strickland. I would be down for either of those. Uh, those would be a ton of fun. I think Sean Strickland's probably the better fight. I could see Kamzat smashing Paula Costa with the takedown, uh, easy finish, rear naked choke. I could already see it playing out. And then bummer news for MMA lab, local uh, trainer, uh, UFC fighter, once top 15 ranked bantamweight, Kyler Matrix Phillips, test positive for Osterine and is suspended by the Nevada State uh, Commission. And there's been a lot of drama with, you know, picograms and Osterine. It seems like the testing's gotten a lot better. So, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire. I'm not going to comment too much on it, but super bummer because Kyler Phillips has been on a rise, has done really well, and was supposed to fight a Sun Sal. That would have been a great fight and is in for some big fights. He's only 27, so very young, not in his prime. Has wins over Song Yudong. Very, very high-quality win. Uh, lost to Rauli and Paiva and beat Marcelo Rojo. So we'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. And before we break down UFC 286, not only is it March Madness on the hardwood, it's Matt Madness on the fucking mats, NCAA championships. Watch that shit back this week after I got rear-ended. I just needed a chill weekend. Watch UFC, watch March Madness, watch the, U the NCAA championships. And, you know, Penn State, congrats to them winning another NCAA team championship. We're obviously going to break this down because this is the new braiding grounds, especially in the USA for MMA fighters. We even had a guy calling a shot for the MMA. And, uh, you know, I'm a wrestling guy. It's mixed martial arts. This is one of those arts. Um, we had Pat Glory winning the 125-pound uh, division championship, being Princeton's first NCAA wrestling champion in 72 years and um, the second-place finisher in the championship, Matt Ram Ramos, I believe in his sophomore year for Purdue, great showing, beat the um, very famous Spencer Lee from Iowa in his quest for being a four-timer. So great accomplishments by both those guys. I love the 125 to 149 classes, probably the best, so super into that. And then um, Vito Ar Aru, Beating Roman Bravo Young, the two-time champion, looking for his three-time from Penn State. And, and he took it to him, man. Impressive championship performance. I did not know a lot about Vito. It seems like he trained even with uh, Yanni Diakamahalis early in his career. Used to be teammates in high school. And that quick shot ability that he had, dooming large as he heavily 
whooped uh, Dayton Fix's ass, the, the second-ranked fighter in 133, and, and, and handled a very, very talented Roman Bravo Young. So watch out for Vito next year at 133. We had Andrew Arias um, from Northern Colorado, undefeated season with the championship at 141. You love to see the small schools, Northern Colorado. Um, you know, as a Grizz alum, I'm, I'm familiar with Northern Colorado and the Big Sky Conference. And of course, Yanni, the, the, stealing the thunder, the final bout of the championships. Giacomo Hollis, his fourth championship at Cornell, joins, you know, the illustrious four-timer uh, party. It's like the Heisman Trophy winners, so to speak. Um, dominating in high school, dominating in college. Can't wait to see what he does next. Already has wrestled for USA. And then Austin O'Connor for North Carolina, undefeated championship season at 145, 157 pounds. He'd be a stud freshman. Levi Haynes from Penn State. What a performance the freshman put on. And probably the most dramatic bout, um, besides Yanni going for the four-time, you had Keegan O'Toole from Missouri beating David Carr from Iowa State. After he had lost to David Carr twice in a span of two weeks at the Big Ten or Big 12 championships and uh i think it's big 10 in wrestling the shit's all weird and um also just in the duel that's got to be hard mentally he said i'm so ha happy david carr had moved up to wrestle in, in keegan o'toole's class that david had come here he made me be better and keegan looked great in that championship bout uh one of the better championship affairs i've seen in quite some time his second championship at 165 and then carter starokey from Penn State, undefeated championship season at 174, calling for MMA action, saying the champion at my weight class is a D2 guy. That's JV stuff where I come from. So Penn State, given that big dick energy, that bow nickel energy, you know, he's ready to do things. A three-time champion for Penn State. And then Aaron Brooks from Penn State at 184 uh, with the championship. And Nino Bonasorsi at 197. For Pittsburgh, undefeated championship season. Matt Madness going down. Congrats to Yanni. Congrats to all the NCAA champions. The hardest sport you can do. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, they, they put every blood, sweat, tear, time, effort, energy, dedication into that, as well as being a collegiate student. So bravo to all the uh, qualifiers, All-Americans. I was really shocked about the 133, though. Did not see... I, I would have booked that RBY and uh, Dayton Fix would be in the championship. And uh, your boy from uh, uh, Vito from Cornell had something to say about it. I'm liking this new backdrop. I must say so myself. But boy, did UFC 286 provide some motherfucking drama at the O2 in London, day fights, wake up, got basketball, got UFC fights, had a friend from college over. It was a great day. So fights we did not break down. Jake Hadley with a round one TKO over Malcolm Gordon. They gave him performance of the night. 50 Gs called for the Mokayev fight. Him and Mokayev have had some drama. And then Yanal Ash moves with a first round knockout over Sam Patterson. What a vicious knockout and scary scene that was, but what a performance by you and all. I went 9-3 and three in my picks overall. Um, really regretting my pick on the first fight will break down. And had a $2,300 parlay, a mix of MMA and college basketball, all locked up. 
until Usman took the loss. So um, I thought I had it in the bag. Was pretty sour about it until I rewatched the fight um, yesterday. So let's start in the early prelims. We had Veronica Hardy. Um, Hardy coming from uh, ex-UFC WWE wrestler Dan Hardy. Been training with him. It has shown out. She had the unanimous decision over Juliana Killer Miller, the ultimate fighter champion. And to be honest, I just don't know how someone that just came from tough fighting multiple times, getting good coaching can regress so much, but that really to me is what happened to Juliana Miller. And maybe the moment got to her, but she looked like she had never really fought professionally before. She had big loopy punches. Nothing looked straight, big loopy punches, terrible grappling. She's usually the taller woman in her fights would come up, try to clinch, do a trip, but she had no hips in it. She wasn't like really making that move. So Veronica just put her weight on top of her and she was getting the takedowns or, or finding herself on top over and over. And uh, what a return for Veronica though. And boy, has she leveled up since she last fought looking great in this division. Um, obviously working with Dan has paid off. Statistically in this fight, Juliana landed 49 total strikes, 30 of those significant with three submission attempts. She was 0 for 3 in um, uh, her takedown attempts. Very, very bad trips <laughs> and, and clinches. And for Veronica, she landed 78 total strikes, so quite a bit more. 62 of those significant, doubling the significant strikes. And had four takedowns, was 100% in her four attempts. So what a showing again by Veronica. This puts Miller, her four-fight winning streak comes to an end. She now starts a new losing streak in her UFC debut. And Veronica starts a new winning streak. This is her first fight since March of 2020. And she is 2-2 two and two since the beginning of 2019. So on a good path, it'll be really interesting to see what, what she does next. Um, if I were the matchmaker, uh, Kareem Silva seems like a great matchup. And for Juliana, I think she needs to take some, some time to improve in the gym. Uh, watch some tape back. But how about Hannah Goldie if she was was to have one summertime or uh, late in the year? So start of the day, 0 for 1. Did not put that on the parlay, though. This fight uh, was in my parlay. My parlay was actually valued at like 5400 bucks, But because of the performance here uh, and having Jai Herbert as a underdog, finishing in a draw, they just you know took it out of the parlay for the odds. But Jai Herbert with a majority draw versus Ladovic Klein. And this is a great back-and-forth affair, but the big drama that really started the drama on this whole card with the judging was that there was a second groin strike landed by Joy, uh, Jai Herbert that wasn't a groin strike. It was above the cup, even on the side. The first one wasn't even that vicious. Actually, I think the first one was somewhat vicious. Um, but not good for Jai because he ended up getting a point deducted. He didn't get that point deducted. He gets the win as he won that fight. So there was drama early. When we look at the stats, Jai landed 96 total strikes, 43 of those significant, had one takedown and three attempts. And Ladova had 78 total strikes, 47 of those significant, and two takedowns of his own and three attempts. So pretty close statistically. Jai, obviously, with more volume. I thought Jai won two of the three rounds, but the uh, point deduction doomed large. And Jai now, uh, coming off a win is now 1-1-1 one, one, and one since the beginning of 2022 with the draw. Can't extend that winning streak. And Klein has his two-fight winning streak come to an end. He is 2-2-2 two, two, two 
or two, two and one since the beginning of 2021. So both guys, uh, mixed results in the bag, looking to keep the momentum going, but very evenly, uh, matched fight, you know, very good fight. Both guys dug deep. I think they could pull momentum after this fight either way, but you hate all that hard work in front of the O2, such a crazy crowd early in the early prelims. They were loud. You get the draw. Terrible result. Now, for Jai, give me Jai Herbert and Michael Johnson. I mean, stylistically, you couldn't ask for better. It's a good spot for Jai at his point in his career. A good matchup for Michael Johnson, a winnable matchup. That would be nutty. Sign me the fuck up. And Ladovic Klein, John McDessie would be a great matchup for him. Let's make it happen. Moving on, we had Joanne Wood, JoJo, with a split decision victory over Luana, Carolina. And this was a uh, pretty slow-paced fight. I thought neither woman had looked at their best, which the way the card was going, you'd think that this would be a great performance. You know, JoJo's definitely aging. I think she looks to be slowing down a little bit after an amazing career. But she was fighting a very long and lanky Luana who provides a lot of challenges. Um, I, I'm not surprised by the split decision. Each round was very close, but JoJo had won at least two of the three rounds. So glad that she got the victory. Ended up putting, uh, picking her and putting her on the parlay, so wasn't mad about that either. Um, when you break down the stats, JoJo landed 177 total. 131 of those were significant, and she was 2-4 and four in her takedown attempts. So although I'm saying that neither woman looked their best, you know, JoJo looks to be aging. She landed 177 total strikes, 131 of those significant. That's a very good output. Nobody, not a lot of people have that kind of cardio. Plus two for four in takedowns, 50% or better. You're always shooting for. Um, I, I'm just hold, holding her to a high standard because she's accomplished so much. And I just feel like at this stage, she should still be a lot better than Luana and uh, could have been in a position to maybe get the finish. But it is what it is. That's just being a harsh critic. Luana landed 123 total strikes and 100 of those significant. So this is basically a boxing, a little bit of kickboxing affair both ways. Wood now has her three-fight losing streak come to an end. That's got to be a big uh, sigh of relief. She starts a new winning streak, which is her first win since 2021. So again, a lot to be celebrated for Joanne Wood. Luana extends her losing streak to two, and she has not won since 2021 either. So back to the drawing board. Tough opponent. Fought her heart out. Really going to be interesting to see what's next for her as well. So, um, Tracy Cortez announced on Instagram, I think yesterday, why she had got pulled out of the Amanda Ribas fight, uh, broken hand or surgery on one of her hands. Uh, originally before I saw that, I had thought, Hey, Jojo, Tracy Cortez, that would be a great fight. Uh, that still could be a good fight in the future, depending on how long she's out. Uh, but that might not make sense anymore. And for Luana, how about Mandy Bohm, uh, a get back on track affair and both girls searching for momentum. And then another fight I got wrong, but don't feel terrible about because it was a injury TKO. You had Christian Leroy Duncan with the first round TKO via the knee injury over Dusko Todorovic. And you didn't get to see a ton. You saw Dusko pushing the pace in the middle. Christian with some big power shots, but his knee blew out up against the cage. Non-contact injury. I'm sure that's a ACL or MCL of sorts. Bummer to see, but Christian landed 14 total strikes, nine of those significant. Dusko, six total and four significant before the knee blowout. 
Christian stays undefeated. He extends his winning streak to eight. Dusko starts a new losing streak and moves to four and four in the UFC. Again, there's not, not too much to say here. When it comes to Dusko, I'm assuming he's going to take some time. Christian barely had a fight, so let's get him back in there real quick. How about a scrap against Abdul Razak Al-Hassan? Two big dogs going at it. Sign me up. Let's make it happen. And then the drama gets very interesting in the early prelim headliner. The local Leron Murphy with a split decision victory over Gabriel Santos. And this is a huge up underdog that I had picked in my parlay. So obviously I was biased the first time watching this. And uh, I had a lot on the line, so to speak. Even though it's just a $50 parlay, you know, a lot of money at potential here. And first time watching this, I honestly was not sure that Leron won the fight. He did have the most damage, but it seemed like the volume and the pace of Gabriel at first, I was like, I would not be surprised if they gave it to Gabriel. But watching it back, I did, did give Leron round one. He did have bigger shots, more damage, although Gabriel's pace and volume was insane. He did have the, the bigger moments. And although uh, Gabriel had a high volume, Leron was controlling the center of the octagon, controlling the fight and pushing the pace. It was a close round, though. Santos had two takedowns, landed strikes of his own. But when he did get the takedowns, he didn't have a lot of control time, didn't have a good ground and pound, really did nothing with the takedowns, and Leron was able to get right back up, which the way people are scoring that now, judges are, there's just not a lot of credibility there. And round two was a very close round as well. I gave it to Santos with the takedown and the control time, especially the final minute and some change. And then he had a, a pretty deep armbar attempt right at the end of the first round. Leron was able to roll up on top in a scramble position. So it's not like he would have really had that submission, but it was a, a good way with a very close volume of striking in that round to win that round. So I gave round two to Santos, finishing out that round, that round strong. Um, he had a big leg kick there uh, that knocked Leron down early in the round, but I'm not sure if that was actually from the kick or it was a slip. So that's hard to say, but I'm sure the judges scored that pretty highly. Then round three, the final round, we're looking at a 1-1 affair. Again, very, very close. Murphy trying to win the round with volume. Had some nice elbows up against the cage, which were some of the more damaging shots in the round. But Santos had a very interesting moment where he had Leroy up, put him down, like slammed him down, looked vicious, had some control time. So that... Had to score highly, but with the decision, again, I think clearly the judges are value valuing strikes landed, especially if they're considered a significant strike or or do cause some damage, versus takedowns that are landed. Maybe you get the takedown, you're on top and land a couple strikes, but no crazy grounded pound with not a lot of control time. So now that I've watched it back, uh, you know I think the judges did make the right decision. I am not mad about that decision, but honestly, it could have gone either way. And I think this is just showing how low value they're giving you for getting a takedown where the fighter gets back up just to take them down. You're not controlling them. You're not able to land a lot of ground and pound and go for submission attempts. There's just not a lot of value there in the scoring. Maybe if the other uh, striker in Leron isn't landing big shots and having damage, you know, maybe it's a, it goes Gabriel's way. But Leron was able to do that and, you know, definitely have to consider that if you're scoring at home and, and, and trying to decide how fights should go. 
Statistically, Lee Roan landed 115 total strikes, 93 of those significant. He had one takedown and two attempts. And then Gabriel landed 87 total strikes, 69 of those significant. And he had five takedowns, although 11 attempts. So good takedown defense by Lee Roan, even when he did get taken down. Besides the slam, he was able to get right back up. Now, Lee Roan, 12-fight winning streak, although he did have a draw in his UFC, UFC debut. He is 4-0-1 in the UFC. And Gabriel's 10-fight winning streak comes to an end. He suffers his first loss in his UFC debut. Now, this was originally supposed to be Nathaniel Wood and Lee Roan Murphy. Uh, Nathaniel Wood pulled out. Short notice affair. Gabriel was a gamer. Going to be tuning into his fights moving on as I did not know much about him. But give me Leroy Murphy, Nathaniel Wood. Let's run that shit back and make it happen. And for Gabriel, let's give him Pat Sabatini, who recently made his debut and had a, had a loss as well. Great fights, lots of fighters in the featherweight division. And that was just the early prelims, man. So moving into the prelims, we had Muhammad Mokayev with a third-round submission via the neck crank over Hafel Fijo, Filho. And you want to talk about drama, this wasn't a judging drama, but golly, the fact that Muhammad Makayev did not tap with the knee bar that Hafel had, mind-blowing. There definitely is going to be injury repercussions. You can look at the still images, the slow-mos, watch the fight back. A knee bar is where you have a straight lock on the leg and the knee is flexing inwards, which if you at home, let's say you put your leg up on, on a pole and just push down how uncomfortable that is. We're talking like six inches of flex there. And some people say that could be an injury with how young he is that uh, affects his career. There's lots at stake there. But the motherfucker's mentality said, you know what? Fuck it. You can, you can go in here. I'm going to get my way out. Not only did he get his way out, he kept fighting in a round three where you're already tired, was able to scramble and get on top of Hoffel after that submission attempt and uh, put him in a rear naked choke attempt and didn't even get under the chin. It's more of a face smash, which, you know, if you have someone grab, get your head in a, in a lock and just smash your head uncomfortably in an angle, it's uncomfortable. It's not going to break anything. So he tapped from being uncomfortable when Mokayev simply just had his knee shredded, got out, got the finish. And, and there's just different mentalities. This kid's got a championship mentality. He's a dangerous motherfucker. Watch out for what he does. And I would not be surprised, you know, with improved striking over the years that he will not run the UFC for quite some time. The new age talent coming into the UFC is unbelievable. And uh, that was one of the, the most impressive things I've seen from just a, a mindset uh, standpoint. The kid is 22 years old, turning 23 in July, and has beat some, some veterans, Charles Johnson, Malcolm Gordon, Cody Durden, Hafel Filho. Can't wait to see what's next. Holy shit, what a performance by Mokayev, man. Uh, st statistically, he landed 79 total strikes. 16 of those were significant. He had four takedowns and eight attempts, 50%. Uh, you have to give Filho credit there. He, he fought a good fight against a very good Mokayev as well. And then he had two submission attempts. Hafel landed 54 total, nine significant, with two submission attempts and a reversal of his own. So Muhammad stays undefeated. He did have a no contest, uh, but conti continues his winning streak with 10 wins. He's 4-0 in the UFC, stays at number 12 in the rankings. And Hafel has his five-fight winning streak come to an end. 
He starts a new losing streak and is one and one in the UFC. Great performance. Again, the mentality. Holy shit. I, I, I'm just blown away. So with this knee thing, Makayev's tweeted like he always says, put me back. I'm ready. I'm active, ready to rock. Take some time. Heal up. You know, don't rush, rush anything. You're fucking just turning 23. I'm sure you could fight one more time. We don't need to rush it. Um, but he's relentless. You got to love that. That's the heart of a champion. I would love him when he does come back, take a step up in the rankings, not a lower unranked fighter, but I know nobody wants to fuck with him. Um, hopefully you could get somebody like a Matt Schnell. That would be great. Can't wait to see what's next. And for Hoffel, still impressive. You know, I, I'm very impressed with his performance. A fight with Jimmy Flick would make sense there. Muhammad Mikhaev, though. Golly. All right. And also in the prelims, we had Jack Shore with a second round submission via rear naked choke over Makwan Amirkani. Now, coming into this, I thought this was going to be a one-time thing uh, for, for Jack Shore to fight at featherweight. You know, he's a big bantamweight. He had the knee injury. I assume this was, let's not cut a ton of weight to start. Let's get a win, then go back to bantamweight. But from what it seems, Jack is wanting to stay at featherweight after the knee recovery and not go back down to bantamweight. So that's definitely something to note because Jack Shore is a fucking problem. And I would say the featherweight class is not as deep as bantamweight, but the top of that division is brutal right now. Although with him being a younger fighter, the guys at the top, are in their mid thirties now. So by the time he moves up in the rankings, he, he might be in a good place as he's only 28 years old, not even in his prime, the heart of Wells representing. And, and Jack looked great. I mean, he, he, he started slow again, the first fight since a knee recovery, a serious knee injury. And, uh, once he started opening up his kickboxing looked great, his wrestling looked great. And his jujitsu as expected was flawless Jack landed 45 total strikes, 28 of those significant. He had one submission attempt and a takedown compared to Mach 14 total strikes, 10 of those significant, and one takedown of his own in three attempts. So Jack starts a new winning streak after his one fight losing streak. He is 4-1 since the beginning of 2021, and Mach is on a two fight losing streak. He is 1-2 since the beginning of 2022. So give me Makwan and Chase Hooper. Enum Claw, what's up? That would make a ton of sense. And for sure at featherweight, things are really interesting. But give me Ricardo Ramos. Ramos can make weight. That would be a scrap. Grab your popcorn because we're tuning in. And all that action, we're just now getting to the main card where Marvin Vittori had a unanimous decision, de decision over Roman Delizzi. And... I love these kind of fights because these guys have trained together. When you're training partners and you've gone certain places with each other, there's just a knowledge and a, an ego like mammal instinct of like, I know I've beaten you here. I know I can. I know what's up. So coming into the fight, these guys already have a mentality and knowledge of who's done what, where they're better than uh, their opponent at, which makes things interesting. We all don't know that unless you've been in the gym or seen some film. But Marvin was relentless. Roman, per usual, landing really big hook shots, really big counter left uh, check hooks, uh, landed some nice leg kicks. But Marvin outbeat him with volume, 
was able to continue to move forward, get his takedown uh, where he needed, tire uh, Roman out. And I was just really impressed with the, with this showing. Marvin, you know, has fought high-level competition, the best of the best in the world in his division. And, and Roman's on a tear, more confident than ever, can knock anybody out with the right shots. But Marvin's got a chin. He's got that Italian blood. He's a grinder. He's a dog. And uh, what a performance by him, man. It was very close. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, he, he definitely is deserving. And this is a huge win for him. Another step in the right direction. Back to a title reign as he improves over and over fight to fight. Um, statistically, Marvin landed 106 total strikes. All of those significant while Roman landed 71 total and significant as well and was 0 for 1 in takedown attempts. So purely just the volume there had more gas in the tank. Roman had some big shots, though, could have stole some rounds. Marvin didn't let him do it. Put it on when he needed to. So Marvin starts a new winning streak. He is 3-2 and two since 2021. He has only lost to Robert Whitaker and Israel Adesanya. I mean, come on. He stays at number two in the rankings. Bright future ahead for the Italian dream. Roman, his four-fight winning streak comes to an end. He starts a new losing streak, and he also stays at number nine in the rankings. But bravo, way to start the main event, or the main card, I should say. Now, Marvin's future, and like when we're thinking what's next, the, the next couple fights, he really can't fight up with the recent losses that he's had. But maybe a great opponent like Kamzat Chemaev, you know, supposedly if that doesn't happen with Paulo Costa, there, there's a possibility there. And a guy that he hasn't squared up with, surprisingly, that it's been a, a dog as well, the killer gorilla, Jared Cannonier. Give me Marvin Vittori, Jared Cannonier. That would be an amazing matchup. And if Chemaev does fight winner for a title shot, there's options. And for Roman, I think Sean Strickland, if, if Sean doesn't fight Paula, that would be a great matchup as well. Give me that as soon as possible. You know Roman's game. I'm sure Sean, Sean Strickland's game as well. And the other underdog, the big-time underdog your boy tried to tell y'all about, Jennifer Maya with the unanimous decision over Casey O'Neill. And look, when you have fought at a certain level in the UFC and you're still at an age where you could put out the volume, be durable, it's going to be hard for a very young person that's so raw to, to, to beat you in a three-round affair unless they could finish you. Now, King Casey's great. She's, she's going to be good. She's fine. A loss here doesn't derail her career by any means. And she just recovered from a knee injury. I thought this was a steep step up for her right after the injury. And I thought she was a little bit slower than usual. And that could just be Maya's speed. You know, Maya's a gamer. Um, she was definitely aggressive, but she, she just seemed slower. Her punches were slower. Her, her movement wasn't quite there, uh, but she's going to be great. She still showcased a high-level MMA and good striking against a very good Jennifer Maya. Um, and I, I, I do believe recovering from that serious injury played part of that. There's some mental battles there within the fight, in training camp, the, the whole lead-up to the fight. But still, this was an awesome bout. Um, although Casey didn't win, you could see where she, where, where she fits in. And Jennifer Maya is still a dog. She's there. She's probably not going to finish a lot of people at this stage in her career. But in a three-round fight, you know, she's, she's going to put the volume on you. She's going to come at you. You're going to have to find a way to outscore her. In this fight, she landed 151 total strikes. 145 of those were significant. 
And she was 0 for 4 in takedown attempts. I think a lot of that was just to mix it up. And Casey landed 137 total strikes and significant. She was 0 for 1 in her own takedown attempts. So high volume affair, close rounds. Jennifer for taking the bout, uh, well-deserved. So Maya now extends. And, and what a win by the underdog. Give her some goddamn credit. Trying to tell y'all. Uh, Jennifer extends her winning streak to two. She is two and two since the beginning of last year. And she stays at number eight in the rankings. Now, Casey, she has her nine-fight winning streak come to an end. Suffers her first pro loss, which sometimes you just need that. I think this will help her moving forward. And she moves to four and one in the UFC, stays at number 12 in the rankings. So what's next for these women? I think definitely Jennifer's going to continue to fend off the new era because there's so many young, talented women coming up into the top 15. So a matchup with Lauren Murphy, I think, would be deserved. You know, Lauren Murphy fought uh, a couple of the top, top people in the flyweight division. This gives her a chance to get a, a veteran fight before all the young dogs make another title run. I think that's ideal for both of them where they're at in their career. We'll see if the UFC agrees. And for Casey... I think a, a veteran affair with Cynthia Cavillo, another a good bout, you know, stepping stone in the ladder of King Casey's career. And potentially even Tracy Cortez, two young bloomers. Let's see who deserves uh, spots up, up higher in the rankings. Either way, excited for both these women back at the octagon. What a win by the underdog, Jennifer Maya. And still three amazing fights remaining on this card. We had Gunnar Nelson with a first-round submission via armbar over Brian Bam Bam Barbarina. Performance of the night, 50 Gs. Welcome back, Gunner. Now, really all you can say here is how good is the jiu-jitsu of Gunner Nelson, man? This once was a guy, without all the time off, the injuries, that was one of the more hyped-up uh, prospects in the division. But hasn't seen as, as many fights in the octagon as a fan would like. And he even says that he enjoys coaching more these days. His days are probably numbered. I really hope we get at least see him a, get a couple more fights with some big names before he's done. I think he deserves that. It's whether he wants that is, is going to be the question because he has had so much time out the octagon. But he was able to stand with Brian, find a way to, to his, his path to victory in the first round. And once you get... Gunner gets you on the mat. Good luck. Good riddance. Um, it only took Gunner 20 total strikes, 10 of those significant. He did have the submission and a takedown in two attempts. And Brian landed 18 total and seven significant strikes. So Gunner extends his winning streak to two. He is two and two since the beginning of 2019. And Brian extends his losing streak to two. He is also two and two, but since the beginning of 2020, you can see the difference in how active Gunner or how active Bam Bam is versus Gunner. So give me Gunner Nelson, Daniel Rodriguez. That would be a fun one. And then give me Bam Bam and Andre Fialho. Two guys who've done a lot of fights recently, a lot of short notices, both with an opportunity to get back on track. They've been active. I would expect an amazing stylistic matchup there. So let's make that shit happen. And then fight of the year alert, potentially. When the human highlight shows up, you know it's about to go down. Justin, the human highlight, Gaethje. Another underdog. Try to tell y'all. I think he was an underdog. Let me look. Pretty 
pretty sure he was underdog. Maybe he was a slight favorite. So it'd be hard to find since it's a past fight. Fazeev, Gaethje, yep. Plus 222, man. The human highlight, don't count him out. Fazeev, an amazing fighter as well. But majority decision over Fazeev. Fight of the night, potential fight of the year candidate. 50 Gs, golly, man. This was three rounds of fucking just straight savagery, straight volume, power sh shots, people showing their durability, their speed, textbook striking, textbook performance. Justin Gaethje showing off the jab a little bit as much as Whitman has worked with Kamaru Usman on that killer jab, which debatably should have won him the main event. We'll get to that in a minute. Justin Gaethje showing out with a little bit of jab too, and that did pay off. Um, clearly, Justin not taking as big a shots, um, not wearing the damage, and that played huge dividends in this fight as Fazeev was beat up. But the power of Justin Gaethje, you look at all of his opponents, that shuts the real deal. Unless you finish Justin, it's going to be hard to put him out, especially in a three-round affair. I wish we could have got five. But Justin landed 106 total strikes, 103 of those significant. Even got a takedown in three attempts. As much of a wrestling background as Gaethje has, it's almost like what Chandler's been doing. He doesn't use it. He wants to beat you down. He wants to perform highlights, get 50K bonuses. He's the master of it. Uh, I wish he would have wrestled a little bit more if he wants to win championships. But he got his first takedown in his in the UFC, I believe, which is unreal in three in three attempts. And Fazeev had 97 total and 97 significant strikes. Quote of the day, I got my fucking takedown, so shut the fuck up. Talking to the fans, the analysts, and everybody else, including myself. But golly, I can rewatch that fight over and over. Uh, what, what a performance, man. Justin starts a new winning streak. He is 3-2 and two since the beginning of 2020. He stays at number three in the rankings. He should get another title shot sooner than later. Huge, huge win for him. And Rafael has his sixth fight winning streak. Very impressive winning streak come to an end. Suffers only his second UFC loss to start a new winning streak and stays at number six in the rankings. Um, man, I, I just, watch, thinking about this fight, watching it real time, it's like some real gladiator shit. You know what I'm saying? But the human highlight, give him Dustin Poirier. Let him run it back. Poirier, Gaethje too. Nobody's going to be mad about that. Poirier is still waiting for an opponent. And for Ziv, for Fazeev, let's let him test his skills against Mateusz Gamrot, another guy who, who got sent back to reality a little bit after an impressive winning streak. I think those uh, stylistically would be amazing matchups. Gaethje Poirier gives them a shot for the title with the win. And the winner, Fazeev Gamrot, right back in the top 10 in the mix of, the, uh, of, of a title run as well. What a fight. What a performance. Justin's a dog using the jab, moving around, landing damage, huge kicks. Both guys, I thought Gaethje outkicked Fazeev, and that was a huge thing that I was interested coming into the fight. Bravo, gentlemen. And then the main event. With all those underdogs hitting, your boy knew. You know, I bet a lot of underdogs in the pay-per-views, but sometimes it's just you, you have that feeling, and this card was paying off. I was positive Usman was going to get the win, 
And Leon did have a confidence boost after the last win, getting a majority decision victory over Usman here, retaining his title in his hometown. Taking a step back, just to let you guys know, as much as I've picked Usman, I just, the Nigerian nightmare is once in a lifetime generational talent. And he, you know, he deserves a lot. And we got to give him the respect that he deserves. I don't think he's gotten enough of it. So for me, I'm on the part of the, the, the hype train of Usman doesn't get enough credit. He's a generational talent. He's an amazing fighter. Then there's Leon Edwards has never had that much talk. I, I so badly wanted him to have a title shot and, and be, be the contender. I always thought he was in the wrong place at the wrong time with Usman. Uh, but he's finally gotten that. He's deserved that. He's an amazing striker. He's so fun to watch. But the 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 way he fucking has prof- the way he won this fight just does not sit right with me. Um, I honestly had Kamara winning the fight as close as it was. I thought he won three rounds to two first time watching it, and they deducted a point. So to me, it was like that has to be Usman, and then they gave it to Leon. I was shocked. The big thing that I noticed in this fight. And a lot of it has to do with getting knocked the fuck out like Usman did. I mean, Leon put a leg kick highlight that he's seen and heard about for so long. He wasn't coming. He was coming forward and pressuring uh, Leon, but he wasn't as aggressive with his action with Leon up against the cage. And I'm sure he's thinking that leg kick and they practiced with Trevor to avoid that. But I think that really affected uh, uh, him and the scorecards because Although he had Leon up against the cage, he's sitting there, you know, in the late rounds when he was late, he was doing takedown attempts, but he wasn't landing his nice shots to score those points. But let's break it down round by round. Round one, I gave uh, Leon Edwards 10-9 with him taking the round due to big kicks and punches. I mean, he was landing big damaging shots right away in the first round and, and keeping Leon at distance uh, or uh, Usman at distance. So I was really impressed Again, when you beat someone like Kamaru, that confidence, being at home, all those things in his corner, uh, you could tell he, he was looking loose and looking uh, more free than he ever had in an Usman fight because he usually looks like that fighting other opponents. So 10-9, Leon into round two. Round two, Leon definitely had his moments, but I gave the round to Usman for the bigger moments. He had a takedown. He landed more volume, had some nice jabs, I mean, if you watch it back, some of those left jabs were, were, were pushing Leon back, and Leon would kind of be dazed for a second. And he, he, he controlled the octagon, right? He's pushing Leon against the cage. He's pushing the pace. You got to give that round to Usman. Um, Leon did land the biggest shot in the round, but Usman controlled the whole round. It's not about one shot. I know the judges can think about that. I always think of the O'Malley pewter yawn when it comes to that. You know, Pewter was winning a lot of the rounds, but Sean had one or two big shots that, that can stick with the judge's mind and could have them, you know, sway the, the scorecards. But although Leon had the biggest shot, I gave the round to Usman. So we're at 19-19 going into round three. Round three was interesting because in round two, Leon got in trouble for grabbing uh, Usman's glove, which is not cool and kind of Bush League. Not only that, but he, he, he gets a groin shot then he, you know, blatantly grabs onto the cage while Usman's trying to get a t- takedown. So they deduct a bo- I think it's Herb Dean deducted a point. Very good deduction. I mean, this is just a bunch of bullshit. It's kind of dirty fighting, really. Um, the round was super close, though. It's hard to, like, really judge that round because it got stopped so many times. 
But to me, the biggest moments besides the point deduction was the big elbow from Usman on Leon up against the cage. He had some big jabs landed that clearly was damaging. And then the point deduction. So I give the round 10-9 without a point deduction. With the point deduction, it's a 10-8 round for Usman. He's up 29-27 going into round four. Round four, I'll give that round to Leon, even though Camaro did have the takedown. Leon had bigger shots and more more volume in this round. But these two rounds, these guys are getting gassed. Usman's looking more zombified. He doesn't have the altitude advantage. And um, he's, he's really looking to wrestle first. But either way, give the round four to Leon. It's I mean, it could really go any way. Um, I, I think he just landed some bigger shots. The more damage, I know that's what they care about. So now it's 37-38 Usman. So, you know, with that scoring, things are obviously interesting. And then round five, I guess... You could give this round to Leon. I, I think he landed more than Usman, although Usman was pressuring and going for those takedowns. Again, he had Leon up against the cage, but he didn't really land any strikes. The judges want the strikes, so with the, the more strikes landed by Leon, you give it 10-9, that's 47-47. Could be a draw. You don't want to do a draw in a trilogy. That could come to play. But also, uh, one of the long-standing things that I still think exists, although... You know, Leon just beat Usman. You got to beat the champ to be the champ. So in a close fight like that, you got to win a championship rounds. Technically, Leon did. You give it to Leon. So looking back at it, I'm not as upset on the decision. Real time, I was definitely upset. Um, but either way, I mean, it, this fight really could have gone either way. You give it to different judges, different days. There's going to be different results. That's how close this fight was. When we look at the stats, Leon landed 123 total strikes, 120 of those significant he was 0-for-1 in takedown attempts. And Kamara landed 113 total strikes, 87 of those significant. He had four takedowns and 15 attempts. Again, the thought of getting the takedowns, not landing a lot of damaging, uh, ground and pound, getting full mounts, improving position, or submission attempts. You got to be more active with the takedowns. And uh, yeah, Kamara definitely was tiring out. I mean, Leon was putting it on him, and those big strikes he landed early paid dividends. So, you know, bravo to both men. This is the best fighters in the world going at it. I hate that there's drama. When there's close fights, there's drama. You can't let it go to the scorecards. But when there's two well-talented fighters that can take shots, it's going to go to the judges' scorecards a lot of the time. Um, so I was just really impressed. You got to enjoy the moment. I had a sour taste because I had my fucking parlay. 5,300 with the draw went down, although I wasn't sure about the draw with the, with the groin strike. I also wasn't sure about Leron winning so that helped me in my parlay but then this I was kind of distraught and and that's what sucks about betting and and having favorite fighters because you feel a certain way when you should just enjoy the card we had a fight of the year candidate in the co-main we had Usman Leon in a trilogy come down to the wire as close as a fight as you can get I hate the the dirty fighting by Leon though not a great way to do it Usman represents like a true champion I think Leon needs to work on that Gunnar Nelson coming back amazing jiu-jitsu Jennifer Maya Underdog winner against a very up-and-coming prospect. Marvin motherfucking Vittori against his old training partner before he enters his prime. Jack Shore's back, new weight class. Muhammad Makayev, the heart of a fucking champion. Leron Murphy winning in front of his home crowd, staying undefeated. Sadly, the Dusko fight with the knee. Joanne Wood, much-needed win after a long time. Jai Herbert draw. N not much fun there with the second groin strike. The, the local guy should have won. And Veronica Hardy, very impressive win. So overall, amazing card. Again, went 10-3. and three. Feel great about it. 
Now, Leon extends his winning streak to 12. And I say that because he, I am not counting as no contest versus Bilal. He was on his way to win. I'm giving him that win. Kamaru, he starts his first ever losing streak. Two-fight losing streak stays at number one. And, you know, as a UFC fan and just as a U, anyone that watches the sport, this really opens up the division. There's a lot more uh, fights that could happen that didn't happen. It's not as logjam, so that is nice. But it sucks when you have an all-time great that, again, I feel like is not celebrated enough. Kamaru's probably not going to get that title shot chance again unless Leon loses it. And he's already, I think, 35, almost 36. So, uh, yeah, it's brutal. You hate to see someone go out like that. So Dana says, Colby, um, Leon, Leon says, no, fuck you, Leon. You're, you know, not, you, you didn't show yourself like a champion. You're taking on Colby Covington, whether you like it or not. You're getting pay-per-view points for us, so shut your mouth. I'm sure that's happening. And for Kamaru, again, things very interesting. Um, if, if Bilal really wants the title, beat Usman then. Give him Bilal Muhammad one more fight to er earn the title shot. He has not fought Bilal Muhammad. Why not make it happen? Either way, 286 went down. London was amazing as usual. And, and Dana talked about coming to London a couple times a year now that they have a champion. Lots of good fighters coming from that area. It's only going to improve. So we'll get to see a lot of fun London cards coming up in the future. Boy, would I love to go to London for UFC. One day, I got to blow this podcast rebrand up. Make it happen. Your boy will be there. But let's talk this weekend. UFC Fight Night, San Antonio. As good as London is, Texas always shows out. We have the prelims at noon Pacific on ESPN Primetime TV. And the main card, 3 p.m. Pacific Standard on ESPN or ESPN+. Plus. Some good fights that we will not be breaking down. Haley Cohen has our Dana White Contender Series debut. CJ Vergara and Daniel De Silva are fighting for their flyweight lives that should equal a great bout. Trevin Giles and Steven Peterson are fighting. And then Daniel Pineda and Tucker Lutz should be a very closely competitive fight as well. Both guys looking to get some momentum going. But we're going to start off in the prelims with an early prelim affair. <coughs> I've been trying to tell you guys about this, this guy, and I'm really excited to finally see, fingers crossed, him fight in the UFC. We got Vinicius Phenomeno Salvador, 26 years old with a 14-4 and record, taking on Victor El Magnifico Altamarino, 32-year-old fighter with a 2-1 and record. Now, a lot of people won't watch this fight. It's early in the prelims. You don't know who they are. Maybe you do if you're a contender series person. But stylistically, this fight is going to be bonkers. It's flying under the radar. We are going to talk about it because of the potential and the it factor that Vinicius has. He had his USC debut canceled and finally gets to make it after his contender series win. And your boy can't wait. Now, Vinicius trains out of Marcelo Ribas' team, uh, Amanda's uh, family. I believe her dad runs that gym. 13 of his 14 wins are via knockout. Two of his four losses via knockout. He is trying to be a phenom. He's trying to put on highlights. He's savage, and I live for it. He's on a four-fight winning streak, and he's a jungle fight alum. Now, Victor's on a one-fight winning streak. He is 2-1 in the UFC. He is a Dana White contender series and longtime LFA alum. Now, this is going to be a fun fight, a tough fight for Salvador. 
a great a, a great uh, a, a way to to gain some fandom. And for Victor, he's in his prime. He has good pro experience, although he hasn't been in the UFC a long time. But again, I'm expecting Phenomeno to put on a show. I'm sure he is just as eager and stoked to put on his debut as I am as a fan to watch it. We're taking Salvador. We putting him on that parlay. Redemption. We marking that ish down. And we getting that bread. Moving on. How this is in the prelims, I have no idea. But we got Manel, Starboy Cop, 29 years old with an 18 and 6 record. And the number 9 next to his name taking on Alex Perez, 31 years old with a 24 and 7 record. And the number 6 next to his name. Now this is another fun flyweight matchup. This should be a banger. Both fighters trending in different directions. Some of the best talent in the division. And maybe this isn't in the main card because guys have pulled out of fights a lot. Who knows? But when we look at it, Manel trains out of AKA Thailand. He's a risen alum and former champion. He's on a three-fight winning streak and is 3-1 and one in the UFC. 11 of his 18 wins are via knockout. Five via submission. So 16 of his 18 wins are via finish. That's hard to do in the flyweight division and not very common. And he does have a two and a half reach advantage in this fight. Now, Alex has a wrestling, boxing, and BJJ background. Great backgrounds to have. He is an ultimate fighter, king of the cage, and cage fury alum. He's on a two-fight losing streak. He had, his one fight in 2022 was his first fight since 2020. Weight cut issues, opponents pulling out, injuries. But he has a long resume. He started early again. Ultimate fighter, king of the cage, cage fury alum. And seven of his 24 wins are via submission. Five of his seven losses are also via submission. And two of his last four fights have been performance of the night. Again, I expect this to be box office. Both fighters have struggled with weight issues at flyweight and injuries. So again, fingers crossed, knock on wood, this actually happens. But I do, if this happens, expect Manel to be the faster striker and to possess more power. Alex is a savvy veteran. If he gets this match to the canvas, it can make it can make things really interesting. And it'll be interesting to see if he does how the cardio of Cop holds up in three rounds. Alex is just now in his prime. We haven't seen much of him besides the very quick loss to Pantoja. So it's really going to be interesting for me to see how Alex shows up and see if he could regain some of that 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 stardom you know he's number six in flyweight division still after not being that active he has a great background great resume but star boy's a problem i'm taking manel i'm putting him on that parlay we marking that ish down and we getting that bread moving on to the main card we got chitty bang bang noquani 34 year old fighter with a 22 and 8 record taking on albert machete Durayev, 34 years old with a 15 and four record. And unlike the last fight, this is a big clash, uh, clash of styles. We get a brawler with serious knock you the fuck out power, a wrestler first fighter who has definitely improved his boxing. You know, he's 34 years old, both guys in their primes. The time is now, which makes for awesome matchups. Now, Chidi has a Muay Thai background. He's an orthodox fighter with a black belt in BJJ. He is a Dana White Contender Series LFA, Bellator, RFA, 
King of the Cage and Legacy FC alum. He's been everywhere. His last three fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. He knocks people out. Bang Bang's his nickname. He likes to show out and he's must-see TV. His last three fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. 14 of his 22 wins are via knockout. Four of his eight losses are via knockout. He's looking to put on highlights regardless of the situation uh, he puts on for the fans. I know that will happen here. He is on a one-fight losing streak after an impressive four-fight winning streak. He is 3-1 and one in the UFC, and he possesses a five-inch reach and leg reach advantage in this fight. He's a, he's a tall, lanky dude with power. Now, Albert's on a one-fight losing streak after a 10-fight winning streak. He is 2-1 and one in the UFC. He is an M1 alum. Nine of his 15 wins are via submission. Likes to get you down, find a way for a submission. And all four of his losses are via knockout, which definitely is interesting here. Now, Albert just fought Joaquin Buckley, who he had trained with before. But definitely is, you know, Cheedy is somewhat of a similar opponent in, in their styles. He's just longer, and I think might even have more power than Buckley, which is saying a lot. So I do expect similar results. For that reason, I'm taking Cheedy. Bang, bang, Naquani. I'm putting him on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Moving on. We got Macy, the future barber. 24 years old with an 11-2 record and the number 13 next to her name, taking on Andrea KGB Lee, 34 years old with a 13-6 and record and the number 11 next to her name. Now, this is a, a pretty similar fight to uh, Maya and Casey O'Neill. A tough, proven veteran versus a young prospect on the rise. The difference here for me is that Macy has more experience in the UFC than, than Casey did and has fought stiffer competition. So she's more proven, although she is young at 24 and um, considered a high prospect with experience. Now, Andrea has Kaiushin background. She has a black belt in Kaiushin and brown belt in judo and BJJ. She was a Muay Thai boxing and kickboxing amateur champion. She's on a one-fight losing streak and is 2-1 and one since the beginning of 2020. She is an LFA and former LFA, a LFA alum and former champion. She is an Invicta alum and Legacy FC alum and former champion. So she's been to the big promotions for a woman, a champion of most of them, and she even has a 4.5-inch reach advantage in her prime. <clears throat> now, Macy has a karate background with a second-degree black belt, karate. She has a purple belt in BJJ. She trains at a team alpha male with a three-fight winning streak. She is a Dana White Contender Series and LFA alum. And impressive stats here for a, 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 a woman fighter. Five of her 11 wins are via knockout. Now, I do think this is going to be a very interesting matchup, close, closely contested. You know, Andrea at 34, that's prime window. I, I think so more for males. Women start a lot earlier because there's not as many promotions, not as hard of a path to the UFC. And she has a lot of mileage. You know, she's fought a lot. Muay Thai, different places, uh, different promotions, been champion. But Macy's not even close to the best version of herself. And so far, she's beaten J.J. Aldrich, Jillian Robertson, Miranda Maverick, Jessica I. Those are really good names. I expect this to be very close on the feet. I think both women are going to have similar speed when it comes to striking. 
But Macy's going to have to use her size. She's, she's got a nice, solid frame to get Andrea up against the cage, wear on her, tire her out, don't let her stay fresh for big-time strikes. I think she's going to find a way. I'm taking the future. I'm putting her on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. And then moving on, we have a um, short-notice affair. Austin lights out Lingo, 28-year-old fighter with a 9-1 record, taking on Nate the Train Landwehr, 34 years old with a 16-4 record and a recent number 15 next to his name as he just entered the top 15. <clears throat> now, honestly, I was more excited to see Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres take on Landaware, but this should still be a good matchup. We get a young UFC fighter looking to make a massive statement on short notice against a, a guy who's going to have uh, the, the Texas fans behind him. Uh, but, you know, recently number 15 with Alex pulling out. This is a huge opportunity for Austin. Lights out lingo. Now, Austin trains out of Fortis MMA. He has a purple belt in BJJ, a black belt in Taekwondo. He's on a two-fight winning streak. He is an LFA alum. Three of his nine wins are via knockout, and he is 2-1 and one in the UFC. Now, Nate is an M1 and XFC alum. He's on a two-fight winning streak as well. His last two fights were fight of the night and performance of the night. He is a showman, and it's about to go down. Speaking of showmen, eight of his 16 wins via knockout, two of his four losses also via knockout. He goes out there to be knocked out or to get the knockout. Now, Nate has definitely shown his willingness to dig deep, you know, have that inner dog come out, show his toughness. And I definitely think with his power, those three things together are going to be too much for Austin at this point in his career, where he's still, you know, 28, young into the UFC, but his nickname's Lights Out. You know, Lights Out could shock the world here. I assume he goes out clanging and banging. It's a short notice affair. He didn't get a full training at camp. He's getting a guy in the top 15. Nate's a gamer. He's going to dig deep. For that reason, I'm taking Landaware. I'm putting him on that parlay. We marking that is down. And we getting that bread. Now, moving on to the co-main event. We have Holly, the preacher's daughter, home. With a new four or six fight contract, she probably won't fight six fights. She's forty one years old, just means she's only going to be fighting for the UFC. She's got a fourteen and six record, and the number three next to her name, taking on Yana Santos, thirty three years old with a fourteen and six record, and the number six next to her name. She her name was or is Yanis Kuniskaya or something like that. Recent married name change. If you didn't know. Now, this fight really comes down to how Holly's looking at 41. I mean, not a lot of people can fight at a high level, especially someone like Yana Santos. She's coming off a loss to Ketlin Vieira. I, and pretty much the whole MMA world, thought she clearly won, and that was one of the most lopsided judging decisions I've ever seen, one of the, the worst ones. Um, but how does she recover from that? You know, did she, I don't know. There's just a lot of questions here. But Holly... She's got a big, big list of accomplishments here. She's got a boxing and kickboxing background. She trains at a Jackson Wink MMA Academy. She has a blue belt in BJJ. She has 16 title defenses at three different weight classes in boxing. 
She was the 2012 Female Comeback Fighter of the Year in boxing, the highest-ranked female boxer in uh, um, an all-time pound-for-pound rankings at the time of her retirement from boxing. By the time of winning her UFC championship, she dropped to number two in the pound-for-pound rankings, but was still number one in welterweight. That's how, how, how much she dominated boxing. In 2006 and 06, she was the uh, in 2006 and, and 07, she was the female fighter of the year in boxing, and she was inducted in the Women's uh, Boxing Hall of Fame in 2017. She's a former bantamweight UFC champion. She is well known for her 2015 upset of the year against Ronda Rousey, where she also had knockout of the year and newcomer of the year in 2015. She is on that one fight losing streak, although it's bullshit. Eight of her 14 wins are via knockout. She is a knockout artist, and she's also a Legacy FC and Bellator alum. Now, Yana has a Taekwondo, Muay Thai, and Gado Jitsu background. She also trains out of Jackson Wink MMA. She has a black belt in Taekwondo. She is an Invicta and M1 alum. She's on a one-fight losing streak. Seven of her 14 wins are via knockout. Three of her six are via knockout. Very impressive backgrounds, resumes, knockout numbers by both women. They go out fighting. They've trained together. There's a lot of mental games going to be played here, especially although Holly probably won in the training uh, in, in previous years. Yana's in her prime. Holly's 41. But if anyone could do it, the preacher's daughter can. She's a problem. When I just take a second back and look at this fight, I really do expect Yana to make a, a very close contest here. She's got great experience, great striking ability, and she has the youth advantage compared to Holly. Now, Holly really impressed me in her last fight against a very good Ketlin Vieira that I would say is probably better than, um, than uh, Yana here. She has good wins over Irene Aldana, Raquel Pennington recently in the past couple of years. Yana even lost to Irene Aldana as well recently in the past couple of years, so that's interesting to note. I do expect Holly just or Holly to be too have too high of an IQ, find a way in the game plan to mix in volume uh, um, strategy with maybe clinching wrestling to outscore Yana over three rounds. This is a very evenly contested fight. I am taking the preacher's daughter. I'm riding her so hard, I'm putting her on my parlay. We marking that ish down, and we getting that bread. Then we have the Bantamweight Showcase. Finally, Corey the Sandman Sandhagen, 30-year-old fighter with a 15-4 and record and the number five next to his name, taking on Marlon Chito Vera, 30-year-old fighter with a 27-1 and record and the number three next to his name, both men, 30 years old, top five, looking for a title in their primes. It's about to go down in San Antonio. It's going to be nutty. The march in the world of the UFC has been one hell of a month. Again, NCAA championships, March Madness, UFC. Ah, sports fans, we rejoice. NFL free agency, MLB's about to start, WBC, fuck Japan. I'm just kidding. What an amazing moment that was. Uh, I wish Mike Trout would have went, yeah, yeah. For Team USA, but that slider that Otani finished him with, one of the best I've ever seen. And I'm sure all of you MMA fans really care deeply, but uh, an amazing moment there. So, to the Bantamweight main event, a lot of anticipation here. This was supposed to happen a month ago at the Apex. 
Um, they were only a week out, which means they've had a full fight camp in, working on cutting weight. Then it got moved last second. Um, I think this lost the main event, so they needed one. And why not have these guys fight in front of the fans? Fuck the Apex. I like that it does, but it cannot be good for both of these fighters. Having a full fight camp, staying in fight camp. We're going to get a banger in front of a rowdy Texas crowd, though. And I'm sure both fighters are going to be uh, um, fired up and prepared. Now, Corey trains at an elevation fight team. He has a brown belt in BJJ. Three of his five fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. He's been putting on wars for years. Seven of his 15 wins are via knockout. He's on a one-fight winning streak. He had the 2021 knockout of the year against Frankie Edgar, and he is an LFA and RFA alum. Now, Marlon trains out of RVCA. He has a black belt in BJJ. He is an Ultimate Fighter Latin America alum. His last four fights have been fight of the night or performance of the night. These guys have shown out. They're getting their moment in front of Texas. I'm sure it's about to, about to be one hell of a display. Eight of his 20 wins have been via knockout. Eight via submission. So 16 of his 20 wins via finish. Very impressive. Even more impressive, he has the most finishes in UFC bantamweight history with 10. He was the 2022 most improved fighter of the year. And he is on a four-fight winning streak. Now, if this was a three-round affair, I think this would be a lot different. I do think Cheeto benefits the longer this goes in a five-round affair. There's not many fighters that are more durable than Cheeto. Marlon is a beast when it comes to volume, pace, durability in in a UFC fight. He does start slow, which doesn't help him in three-round fights. But he looks to finish the fight finding the right big shots, saving his energy for the right moments. And it's definitely paid off. And it's really going to be interesting to see how these two styles match up because Corey likes to be high volume. He is durable and has been in five round affairs. When it comes to the full MMA package, I do like Corey's ability more. He's taller, a little bit lengthier. I think he's going to be the quicker striker. He has fought better competition early in his career. Again, both these guys are only 30. Um, he's battled even in the fights he lost, um, a la the TJ Dillashaw warfare that happened. And, and I think TJ Dillashaw, even at that time is better than Marlon probably ever will be no offense to Marlon. Um, I expect him taking those losses has helped him go to the drawing board. You could see how much he wants this. I think this is a very, very tough fight to pick. But I am going to go with Corey because I think it goes to the decision. I would be surprised. Both these guys, it's hard to finish each other. There is a potential that it happens. But I'm going with Corey in a close decision fight. I am avoiding this on parlays if possible. But what a fucking card. Again, March has been fantastic. London, Texas this weekend. Enjoy it because next Saturday to start April, there is no UFC. But it's only one week off. Then we're in Miami. And uh, um, the, one of the most beautiful places in the United States, going to be amazing weather. And we get another fucking amazing matchup. Probably some of the best like Hollywood scripts that you could put together. Alex Pieta, Israel Adesanya 2, uh, the Mocha Anticipated Affair pay-per-view bout 287. What a week it's been. Got the new backdrop. Rebranding coming soon. Episode fucking 124. 
We out here. See you next week.